Hello, hello, hello. You are listening to Are You Two in Love or with Evo Byrne and Lucy Holmes or Lucy Holmes and Evo Byrne. And today we are joined by a wonderful guest. Wow, I can't speak. Today we are joined by a wonderful ba- guest. <laughs> I really am tongue-tied today. Um, Tomas, if you would like to introduce yourself, since apparently I cannot. Tell us a bit about yourself. What do you do? Who are you? What do I do? Um, I work and sleep. That's pretty much it these days. I work, sleep and read. I'm sorry, I read books as well, but that is, that's pretty much it. It's life of lockdown. Um, I guess I'm an activist is the best description. Um, I literally have no other description at this stage, just an activist. And, and I think the best description really is like an obnoxious activist. Uh, <laughs> The best kind, I will say. Honestly, yeah. no, I think there's the only kind, and, and it is truly the best kind as well. Because, like, with I think with all forms of activism, if you're not like putting yourself out there constantly, or and you don't think of yourself as like, you know, like the the speaker for everything, what are you doing, honestly? But no, this is a, this is a serious topic. What we're talking about today, we're talking about the MSM or the Men Have Sex at Men uh, blood donation ban in Ireland. And we invited Tomas on to talk about this because to say you've done a, a little bit of activism would be a complete understatement. Um, why don't you give kind of like a breakdown of how you got started with campaigning for the original, uh, campaigning against the original lifelong blood donation ban? Um, oh my God. <laughs> so like I always wanted a blood donor um, like no question about it. I used to go into the blood clinics with uh, my mother at the time when I was a kid. Like I didn't know what was going on, but it seemed like a good thing. Um, then when I was in secondary school, about 16, I was doing TY and one of the teachers passed around this like photocopy of one of the forms from blood donation. And he was saying, you know, everybody should do this when you reach 18, when you like are able to do this you should do it and I was like well yeah I probably will and then um bef- like I reached 18 I registered to donate first clinic was like near my house at like 8 p.m one night I think and it was like I was in leaving cert by the time it happened and it was it, it for whatever reason like the queues were massive and they dragged on it dragged on for like four hours and it was like after 12 and I was absolutely exhausted the next day going to school like I could not stay awake um plus I had like 500 milliliters of blood gone for me which probably didn't help like um but like I felt I still felt really good about the whole thing and I was like yeah this is this is for me this is what I'm gonna do um so like over the next few years school college I would always find some place to donate so like you can donate like every 90 days um so I would always try to like match it up so if there was a clinic at home uh, on my 90 days or whatever I would go there but like if there was one in a different county I would actually get someone to bring me out to the other county depending on how far it was away um just to meet my like 90 day target thing um so I hit like 10 donations when I'm actually on my the morning of my 21st birthday uh, that was like I got up gave my 10 donation thought I was great for doing that I'm like look at me being selfless um I was not probably not being selfless but whatever um then 
oh, then I went to England for like a four months just on Erasmus for college. And obviously I, I wasn't really donating. Um, came back, was in the relationship. Um, that caused trouble um, because essentially it's like, I was fully aware of the band by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to decide, did I want intimacy with my boyfriend at the time or did I want to keep donating blood honestly and let's you know I'm not going to pretend that people don't that men don't donate blood uh, and tick the other box on the form and say that they haven't uh, they haven't engaged in sexual activity when they have like it does happen Um, but I didn't feel that was the right thing for me so I made the choice I'm going to keep donating blood and for as long as I can um now that was a bit of a struggle um it's definitely not why my first relationship ended but it certainly was part of it um it didn't help Mm -hmm. for sure um it's 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 weird telling the person you're with that you're you're less important than this other thing to me sorry um you know anyway So we moved along, uh, went back to college, doing like just um, just kind of moving along. I was kind of busy, so I didn't do as much. Um, then I got into like a second relationship and it again cropped its head. Um, and then uh, another thing came up around the same time. Basically, someone had, and this is probably where I should have started because this is actually the starting point but um so basically someone had gone to the blood service and said um like gave my name date of birth and address so that they knew exactly you know they can pull up my file straight away um and basically said he I think he is having sex with a man so there you go um and they kind of they kind of went back and forth amongst themselves within the IBTS for about mm, two or three weeks. And then they sent me a letter, one line basically saying, we need to talk to you at like no context whatsoever. (laughs) And it had been by that stage, it had been like, I think over a year since my last donation. So I was like, well, it's Mm -hmm. not that they caught something because they would have let me know before now. So what the hell is going on? It's like, what is this? Um, That's like, that's like your parent going, we need to talk and you don't know what it's about there's no that's, that's the same energy as yeah. you didn't take the chicken out of the freezer and your mom's like <laughs> i need to talk to you or you like, turn on the immersion before you left the house yeah yeah that's so bizarre and then so someone it's... basically doxed you to the ibts and said yeah, and just a, outed it, you almost it was it was a relative um, yeah oh my who... god who had basically made it really clear for the previous few years that they did not like I, that I was gay. Um, they did. They they really didn't like that I was campaigning for like uh, other things like abortion law reform and stuff. They really did not like that one. Um, and it was just their way of getting back at me. And oh my it kind god! Of, and it like that's snowballed. just that that's just too much. And like because even in my mind, I'm like, would have that person have donated as much blood as you have? Because no, it's they just didn't. like yeah that's no, they, what, exactly what I was thinking it was just like this person is like oh how dare he do a good thing but it is mm-hmm. it's so spiteful <sighs> the thing is, is that 
like the th- that like the act of donating blood like it benefits so many people and by withholding that you're causing a lot of problems and i know we, like people are going to be like one person doesn't make a difference but like at the moment right now we're currently facing a blood shortage mm-hmm. and we're importing mm-hmm. blood over from the uk so one person very much does make a difference mm-hmm. so for someone to like kind of stick their nose in that business and go actually you need to look at this case you need to look at this person they're not like they're basically lying to you doxing you like is horrible it's awful um, and what came next was like basically the spark um so like this letter arrived i was i was actually due to go to the us for the very first time um the following day for like a week to visit a friend out there so i was like where well, i need to figure out what this letter means before i leave the country uh for a week like because i'm not gonna i'm not gonna enjoy myself if i'm thinking about this stupid letter um so i spent like the rest of that day calling and either i'm like i was missing them and getting their secretary or every time they called me they were missing me and i would call back and miss them and it was like back and forth back and forth all day long finally got through to them and was and they were like right it's about like your previous donations and i was like okay well what is it um oh no we can't discuss over the phone with you you need to come meet with us i was like you could give me a hint and she was like no no it's too it's too sensitive we can't tell you over the phone and i was like right is it is it anything to do with the fact that i'm gay and she was like that may be that that may be what it might be about yes i was like right okay thanks um i was like and was it her per- like was it this anonymous person uh that that reported me and they were like, uh, you know, we can't discuss that, but we did get outside information. And I was like, right, thanks for confirming that too. Um, so I agreed to meet them like at the end of that month. So that was started July, agreed to meet them at the end of July. Um, uh, and then, I don't know, I just got like really angsty after that. Um, and I didn't know, like, I was going around to friends being like, should I bring like a solicitor with me? Like, what should I be doing? Um, Like, I don't, should I be going by myself to this thing? I don't know. So I ended up rearranging the appointment for like the end of August instead. Um, Went up by myself in the end, went to the clinic in near St. James's. It's kind of their headquarters there. Um, Went into like a room with the shutters down um for privacy i'm sure um but the the doctor obviously introduced herself to me that was fine there was another woman there who i like i think they introduced me to her but i like half for the life of me like i was not taking in any information that day yeah like naturally um, you're by yourself in a really <laughs> stressful scenario and yeah. it's just like why are I, the first thing going into a room all the shutters down for privacy is always like <laughs> Um, what's going to happen in here? Jeez, really bad interrogation scene in a film. Like yeah, it was it, and that's how I thought of it for months after. It's like I was interrogated. It wasn't quite an interrogation, but like, um, but at the time it did kind of feel like that. Um, mm-hmm. so this other woman sat there like taking notes quietly the whole time, like she didn't say a word, and I was like, okay pay attention to the person talking then um so basically this doctor went through like she had my file she opened it she was like oh we see that you gave your last donation like six months ago or whatever um basically someone's got in touch with us and just raised the possibility that that like you know have you 
when you were filling out all these forms previously, you know, did you fill them out correctly? And I was like, yep, yep, fill them out correctly. And she was like, here, let me read down through them for you and you can tell me. And I'm like, mm, okay, but I told you. Uh, so this went on like a while of like, yes, I filled them out right, but did you? Yes, I did. But did, like a lot of this back and forth. Now, eventually she like cut to it and she was like, um, well, someone has basically suggested that these forms weren't filled out correctly um in relation to like this question here and it was the have you ever had sex with another man i was like no i filled that out correctly so yeah um and then she went through like you know um you have to be sure when you're filling out this form because we have we all we have is trust uh we, we we have no other way of making sure that the blood is safe aside from trusting you and i'm like probably should have other ways of making sure the blood is <laughs> yeah safe. you should probably like i mean <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's tests or something that you do like, like that's that's such a mammy thing to say I have to trust you to know it's okay do you trust everyone that goes through the blood donation service like I'm sure like do they have the time to check every single person whether they're lying or not and this is just it just like to me that is just it's just so it's such a threatening aura as if they're trying to make an example of you doing this even though like oh, oh yeah it absolutely was like that was my full impression I was like you do not want me to donate again do you um and of course she came back being like ah you know we hope this doesn't put you off donating in the future and I was like mm, it's pretty close to putting me off if this is what I have to do every time um but essentially like like right at the end of the meeting then she was like oh we'll let um the clinic staff know to lift the ban on you and then I was like well hold up what ban um and this is so like a month after they first contacted two months almost two months after they first contacted me that was the first time they'd ever mentioned that I had been put on a deferral like they had not told me that for the two months um oh so I could have like rocked up to a clinic within those two months and literally scanned my card um and they could have been like no go away like right there in front of everyone so that was I was really annoyed about that one. I'm like, you should have told me from the start, at least. Like, in that, like, the, the lack of transparency in that, where they, like, call you up and go, we need to talk. Like, send you a letter, sorry. They go, we need to talk. And then they call you up and go, we can't tell you anything. And then they bring you into this room and then they finally go, oh, by the way, you were banned. Like, I just, like, the thing is, is that if in that time, um, God forbid you had gone and went, oh, I'm going to donate some blood, and you were turned away that could potentially put you in a dangerous situation because people could start making links or connections and stuff that like like it's scary enough the fact that you were docs with the fact that they put you on a list without you knowing you were on that list is horrific and it's just so it was just dealt with so poorly yep that was it like it was it was like i could think of several better ways of dealing with the situation than this yeah. um and I told them that I was like this this you need to do better um so they told me I would be back on like active donor within I think three weeks or something and I was like fine I'm just gonna cool down I'm gonna go home cool down and see where this goes um and then obviously like I, I didn't get returned to the active donor list for three weeks and I was like mm -hmm. this isn't right um so then 
I was at like a protest in Dublin. Um, it was actually the, I think it was the March for Marriage in 2013 that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and a speaker at that, Max, I cannot, I can never remember his surname. It's a Polish surname, I think he said before. I think he told me he was a Polish surname. Anyway, he was giving a speech at it and he kind of brought up um, this issue, like just in passing during the speech. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, oh, someone does someone else knows about this um okay I'll have a chat with him so I waited till the end had a chat with him um and just while I was talking to him a journalist came up who knew him and was talking to him as well and I think she like I kind of figured well this is my chance to make a little bit of noise about this and see what happens if like if all that happens is I get returned to the active donor list and an apology I was like I'm you know at this stage just apologize even mm-hmm. like even just for how it was handled just mm-hmm. even apologize for that um so it I think the Irish Times published a piece on it and then like literally the next day or something I was suddenly returned to the donor list like it was um it was pretty fast and yeah. then there's no pressure like media <laughs> pressure yeah. um, and like and the- then I spent the next like few few months and stuff like in between college work like assignment it was like my final year of college so like mm-hmm. so stressful um and I was trying to do like all these assignments and like studying everything and then I was also writing letters to like the blood service the health mm-hmm. minister the like opposition TDs like anyone that I could think mm-hmm. of um to be like can you can you look at this can you maybe do something about this because I'm not sure it makes any sense actually like leaving aside the specifics of my case like Mm -hmm. the thing itself doesn't really make sense when you look at it um and that like that was the first time I ever really looked at it as like a as an issue and no one could give me an answer Uh, they kept being like HIV stats HIV stats and I was like yeah Mm -hmm. but mm, I don't think that that matches what you're saying like I don't think those stats actually justify what you think they justify and then I don't know I ended up in court <laughs> yeah when when you were 23 I remember reading that and in, in one of the articles and it was you're 23 in court and I'm about to turn 21 and I was like and I don't know how to separate the different washes from darks and colors don't know which goes where um but no you're yeah. 23 and you 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 brought a legal challenge to the high court about this and that is like what what was the experience like because in terms of like support in terms of like backlash what what was just like the whole experience I guess because I don't think me and Lucy can identify with that experience whatsoever I mean if you're law students you might or if you know any law students they might be able to run you through (laughs) it um it's like I okay so I'd like done criminal justice in college um which like does include like constitutional law and like EU law and that kind of stuff like it doesn't it's not like solicitor level of detail but it's like it's close like it's good enough amount of detail um and it obviously had nothing to do with this I was like I was just doing law um and I don't know like the cogs in my head just started working I was like gonna read the David Norris case gonna read a few other cases like the Catherine Tapone case gonna read this one and that one and this one and 
like just kept reading stuff and was like, hmm, there may be, there might be something here. Um, but again, I have no idea. Um, so I ended up getting in touch with this organization. I don't know if they're still around. Um, they might have disbanded, but they were like LGBT lawyers. I'm not sure if it's still like active. Um, and they used to run like kind of an advice clinic in outhouse uh, like once a month mm -hmm. so I came up from college in Limerick up to Dublin one night went in was just like here this is what I have here's a bunch of paper like can you do something with this <laughs> essentially like here are all the ingredients of a cake now can you make a semi okay cake out of this please or or tell me that you can never make a cake out of it um, not even cupcakes like nothing can be made out of this uh, so they took it away consulted with other lawyers and it just and eventually they came back and they were like actually there might be something here so mm -hmm. it just just a lot of talking and meetings and phone calls and it just happened yeah, I don't know no, like it's once fascinating it started, yeah once these things start like it's difficult to stop them it is it is like a snowball um it's just mm -hmm. it's like well if I've come this far <laughs> What's mm -hmm. another step, and then another step, and then and then yeah. Because that's yeah. Cool that like, um, at the moment, um, there is what they call a twelve month ban, which is like twelve months is the last time you had um sex or sexual relationships with another man, as a man, um, but at that point that was a lifelong ban, and now they're just like they're the same thing in different coats um yeah and pretty much like if you want to have a relationship that's like long term and even then it, it kind of like if you have a long-term relationship it's like you know you still can't donate blood and it's like the thing is is that like but but surely the less sexual partners you have the more like quote unquote clean you are i hate that's the phrasing around it but it literally is yeah. and it's like no, I it's so weird and like it's even no the whole ibts rules and like the whole thing like the the like there is discrimination against sex workers there is discrimination against so many different groups of people and it's all there it's just in language that's like kind of it, it kind of it get it kind of like gets around not say like it doesn't say oh sex workers can't give blood it says anyone who has had sex for drugs or money cannot give blood and I literally sat down. And I was like, "That does not that does not necessarily mean sex workers, but like, it just it, it's just it's so coded against certain groups of people, and especially the twelve month ban. It's just like twelve months. Like, how many times can you donate blood within twelve months? And they're just like, "No, it's fine." Like, oh, it's just I the, want I oh, I can't believe it. I never saw like the twelve month ban. I was like oh so what I like in my brain like I was like so they can donate after 12 months and then I was like hold on it's 12 months after they've had sex with a man so they have to not have sex with a man for another 12 months if you are in a relationship you're in a committed relationship like you could be together with someone for years completely safe and healthy and and you can be safe out of a relationship too like and I hate that's the narrative as well it's just like I, I hate how like a lot of the activism it, around it kind of lean towards people who are in relationships. And I was like, no, you don't, you yeah. don't need it, monogamy. It is like incredibly easy to fall into that narrative of 
um, going for the lowest hanging fruit. So essentially, like one of the obvious examples is, um, you know, two married men, you know, Ireland said yes to marriage equality in 2015, but now two married men can't have sex with each other, like um, if they want to donate blood. And that's that's totally true. However, that can't be our standard. Um, mm. That can't be our like example of why it's wrong, because not only is it wrong to pitch that as the as the correct example, but by doing it and my experiences with the blood service would suggest that if that's the example that's used, they will allow married couples to donate blood. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. they're they're not going to address the actual issue if the if the most obvious examples are chosen. Um, exactly. Like it, it has to. I do find myself as well like falling into that like well like if someone is in a relationship surely they're safe but like I think that's completely not the point at all and I, even I'm caught up in that where I'm like but if they're like if they're like no ifs or buts like the thing is is that the like testing system around this has improved so much that mm-hmm. there is very very little reason to continue with this ban especially for this length um mm-hmm. and like the thing is is that like um I don't know exactly what the right phrase is but there's always like that like model like it's like the perfect victim almost I don't want to say mm-hmm. victim's not the right word but like it's that thing where you have to be the like ideal like you have to have done everything right you have to be like in a healthy committed long-term relationship you have to get married you have to do this that and the other before people are like okay we're going to treat you like everyone else yeah the case it's so weird because like it's like oh no like like queer men have to have fit into this almost like like yeah they have to fit into this certain norm where they're married and they only see each other and they are they're so committed to each other but straight people no whatever you do we'll take your blood yeah it's like it, it, it does feel like a double standard and I know that like within the blood transfusion service like there is also certain barriers to like everyone in terms of what STDs you've had yeah. and also like they're they're gently phasing in also because I think with within the blood ban I would love if it was similar to the Italian system where it's literally like case by case like what what you are and like it's not if you're if it's not your orientation it's the amount of partners you've had and with your blood when you're a first-time donor and even like repetitive donor you go in and get sti screenings as well and they're free and i was like this is an amazing system because unfortunately a lot of stis in ireland are on the rise um and it's just simply because not that i think that there's a stigma around testing but i think Irish people have like this reluctance around healthcare um, and a reluctance to like, not like, not a reluctance to actually go seek help, but it is like with a mentality where it's like, oh, I'll be grand. Yeah. Um, and that needs to be like tackled as well. But and like, like, yeah. Especially with sexual health and even like talking about sex or talking about STDs or STIs, like people. Or UTIs, frankly. Yeah, <laughs> Um, people still clam up and get uncomfortable because they're like, oh, I don't want to talk about this. And I still think that's like, I don't want to be like, ooh, Catholic guilt, but it is the kind of Catholic it guilt is. thing of like, <laughs> oh, mm. we can't talk about that. That's a t- taboo yeah. subject. Like, mm-mm. And I think that's the same, like, is that the conversations around the MSN ban are that much harder to have for the fact that people are like, oh, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk with this is not the conversation I want to have. 
And I'm like, um, I don't care what conversation you want to have. It's a conversation we have to have because it's a normal part of life. And I think having that reaction just makes it so much worse. I think the one thing that really stands out for me on that is it was a few years ago. Like, I'm not even going to try and find the article. I know it was the journal.ie. Um, and it was about recent STI stats that year. Um, I think they had just been released. And I saw one comment and I think it was like under the, the Facebook comments of the journal. And it was like, um, why, like, why should straight people get tested when the blood service accepts our blood? Um, like, clearly they don't think we have STIs, so we're fine. Like, this story is clearly made up saying that straight people have STIs. And that was it. That was like, I was looking at going, that's why. That's why one of, like, aside from everything else, that is one big reason to change the rules on blood donation because it sends a message, um, an implicit message out to the wider population. That actually, this group, so like gay men and sex workers and people from Africa and people from uh, South America, all these people have STIs or they will have STIs. There's no, there's no getting around that, but everybody else is fine. Every other group is fine. You are immune to STIs. You are immune to HIV. Go about your business. Never worry about it. Um, and like when I was in college, I used to, uh, and like I'm probably a horrible friend for this, <laughs> but I used to ask like um, friends of mine, particularly straight men, um, have you ever got an STI check? Like even in the clinic here in the college, <laughs> and they were all like, "No, why, why, why would I?" Like in fairness, I think they need a you're, reminder you're, though. Like they because, need to the push. But it's like one guy in particular. I think he was. Um, he was having sex with multiple partners, you know, good for him. As long as it's consensual, great. But he, like, it didn't even strike him that he should ever get an STI test. And I was like, mm, even for your own sake, you should really be doing this because, mm -hmm. like, you might not even see anything that might be wrong till it's too late. Too late, exactly. Like, so many, I, I love talking, about, I don't love talking about <laughs> STIs, but, like, I do, like, because I was, they were never mentioned in my house ever. Like, and my sister is like, she's become like she's about to become an adult. So I'm like, yeah, we're gonna have a free, non-stigmatized conversation about it all. Because I like I went through. I had a UTI so severe, I had to go to hospital. It was a big saga. I was on drip, um, and it was simply because I didn't pee after sex. And that's your reminder. Please do that. Um, but anyways, no. When it comes to STIs in Ireland, I think like there has to be a bigger push. At least. Like, even if you were in a long-term relationship and even if you think you're safe, just go get tested because you never know. Things like syphilis imprint on your DNA and can, can have long-term effects after three months. And you may not even notice it until it's too late. It is a crazy how like a lot of STIs, like the framing around them, it's just that you're dirty or that there's something wrong with you for having sex. And even if you use like protection, it can happen you never know just do it because it's just long term you know like you just want to make sure that you are healthy and that you also don't you know give mal health to other people you want to make sure that you're oh, you're never paranoid when you're having sex and you're having a good time um and that's like i guess with the ibts and even the way that they just talk about you know like blood screenings and everything it's like 
treating people's health is like the last thing and like in the back of their mind because like we were looking through stats for the blood for all campaign which me and lucy are on and it's all about you know reducing the 12-month ban to something that's more reasonable hopefully getting rid of it but perhaps like three months like it is in the north we saw that 30 percent of hiv transmissions through sex in 2018 they're through heterosexual relations and it's just like there's this painting of hiv as only something that affects msm it doesn't it does horribly affect them and it is a like real like it was it, it has wiped out an entire generation of gay men and bi men and queer men but it's just the, the stigma that exists in ireland around it it is insane like the fact people just don't want to talk about it and i think actually it's a sin opened up a lot of people's eyes about it um particularly my parents I don't think they would have really talked about it before because I had gay uncles that were in the closet um and they were lifelong partners and like they would have come to Christmas dinner and my grandfather was just like and they were roommates like he just he had no suspicions whatsoever apparently and it's just sad the way that Ireland continues to ostracize it's gay men like this like pushes them away and it's just like no it's almost like their blood isn't good enough even during a blood shortage and like that news oh it, it was gut-wrenching like even as like even just as a queer woman I was just like I just I didn't feel guilt but I was very much like why am I somewhat better than people who I know want to help and want to donate blood um and just like about the high court challenges, like, I guess, because when you were in, you were in the middle of the, were you in the middle of the case when it was eventually changed to the 12 month ban? Or like, how did you find out that the lifelong uh, deferral was going away? Um, so, okay, it's, it's, it's difficult kind of to explain, but basically throughout the entire it lasts about a year the case did and throughout the entire time I think we had been in court like several times throughout that year every couple of months we would go up and essentially um every time the department or the the lawyers for the minister for health and the blood service would say things like you know we have this we're having this like international conference for two days in April so we'll be progressing it there and we have to send the recommendations to the minister on this date and so essentially um all these court dates were like updates um essentially to show that something was happening mm-hmm. um and the 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 position um myself and my legal team took at the time was that um to appear you know reasonable fair um that we would give the service and the minister uh space to move the policy along um mm-hmm. but that we still wanted these dates in court to essentially keep the pressure on that they couldn't mm-hmm. kind of just pretend you know we'll have this meeting and then we won't touch it again um mm-hmm. so was so, it like a positive experience like being in court almost with them or were they still arguing for reasons why the lifelong ban was there no so they so back then they never uh in court they never argued i don't think mm-hmm. in favor of it they were just like um they kind of danced around it so it was like oh we're having this conference and we're making these recommendations and we're bringing these doctors in and then the minister's going like so they never actually took on the 
substantive issue. It was all about, we're progressing this. We promise we're progressing this. Because, um, like, how could you? How could you justify like it at that point in time you, you absolutely couldn't and they knew that um so they were we gave them space to move it along um with obviously the implicit understanding that it was to move a lot quicker than like two or three years it was like it was to move uh, at a reasonable pace and it it did um up to so it, it took about a year which is you know, it never went to a hearing or anything. It was all pretty amicable, to be honest. Um, and yeah, then the blood service, I think the the night of the Brexit vote in, in the UK, <laughs> the minister, like, uh, I think it was Simon Harris at the time announced, or sorry, no, um, sorry, the blood service announced that they had, they had voted. I don't know why they were voting, but anyway, they voted to um to recommend that the the uh policy be changed to a 12 month one um i found out about that obviously like i was i did i was at like some pride event that evening and a friend of mine messaged me on twitter and was like have you seen this i was like no i was i'm at an event (laughs) um so it, it turns out it was actually um so pride dublin pride do this thing every year uh like a political debate where they get like politicians in um and it was actually at this so then at the end there was like a Q&A and I was like oh I'm gonna ask some questions now <laughs> about this specific issue um and obviously the answers were like really wishy-washy because they hadn't heard about the change um <laughs> so then um nothing really happened for a few days and then it was the weekend I think the Sunday night of Pride so like the 27th or 8th or whatever whatever year whatever day it mm-hmm. fell on that time uh they announced the minister announced that night that he was taking the recommendation and he would bring in this 12-month ban but like there was no timeline there was nothing like no more information mm-hmm. uh i think the following week then i met with like the legal team we had a really long chat about it um and we um came to a decision that we would withdraw the case um on the basis that essentially my strongest arguments had essentially been blown out of the water. So like most of my legal arguments were about the disproportionality of a lifetime ban. Mm -hmm. Uh, And without a lifetime ban, then that argument falls on its face. And like, there was no way around it. We had built the case on the lifetime ban, not on the principle of the ban itself. so, you know, yes, I could have continued, um, but I probably would have lost uh, because just how it was constructed. Um, mm-hmm. So instead we withdrew it. Um, I think the following week we, we officially withdrew it. And, um, and then it was like six months or more. It was the following January by the time it actually yeah, came in. It was around seven, apparently. From yeah, when it was. Um, and I was like seven months, like, yeah I don't know just like seven months to do what almost so it's kind of like it was like seven months like yeah it was to change they, the forms. yeah if they had the time to drag someone in personally and interrogate them in a room with the blinds closed I think they could you know do the same thing I'm not uh, saying they just had to you know a few lines in a google doc but 
Um, I mean, <laughs> photocopy in a few times done. Well, like, no, honestly, they moved, they moved one box on Microsoft Word, and they're like, we can't. We yeah, the they were like, box. this is too much. This is this is not in my job description. What about that like big fancy printer that they couldn't get into? <laughs> the doll could they not have used that? Come on, uh, yeah. you would hope so. Um, no, but, but actually, the like when they changed it. So, do you know if have you ever gone to donate? Yeah, um, I have. Yeah, yeah. I, I was so, turned away though because oh. I'm, I'm too anemic, and they're like, "You're still too low on iron levels." And I was like, "No." That one is actually <laughs> for you. Iron <laughs> to be there. Like, no. It's so they don't damage you. Um, yeah. For probably so they don't damage you, so you don't sue them. Mm. Not not to be cynical, but that's probably it. Um, but so they have this, they have like a binder that they give you to kind of read through at the very start when you're filling out the form. So when they changed the policy, the binder was like the same binder, same pages in it, but they like had like a A4 photocopy about the new rule and they just kind of stuck it in the middle of the binder. I was like, guys, you've had seven months. At least get laminated. Like, my God. Communications and the HSC and the IBTS, they don't really go hand in hand because there were so many people who found out recently. My aunt actually lived in England uh, during the 80s and she found out that she can donate blood here now uh, because there was the risk of mad cow disease. And there was that even the, the correlation almost between the reasons for the for many like people who live in England not being able to donate blood and then MSM not being able to donate blood it was risk of disease which is like a common phrase that I've read throughout many reports the, and that ban was lifted in 2019 but still not enough people are aware that they can give blood because it's, it is a significant amount of people because a lot of people yeah. have emigrated and come back and it's just like oh, like they just don't know how to communicate things I mean, like, given the HSE, like, hacking and everything, I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, I'm not surprised. They just were, like, print, probably in black and white. And just <laughs> like, I think that's, like, an ongoing theme throughout, like, a lot of political systems in this country is that the information is not there and available. You have to dig for it. You have to dig and go... Mm -hmm okay, this is how it works, this is the semantics of it. And like even discussing the case and the way you were saying like they come back and say, oh, we'll do this, we'll do that. Like it all seems like very like bureaucratic and performative. And like I can understand where you wanted to keep that pressure for the fact that they'll go, oh, we'll bring this to the board. And you're like, this is really vague language. How will you bring it? How will you talk about it? They're just like, like they'll bring a piece of paper, hand it to them, they'll look at it and then throw it out. Like you don't, you don't know what happens in that room because you're not there and that it's oh i don't know sorry i'm just gonna get angry about the system. <laughs> well, i mean that change for the uk was hugely significant um Ooh. i i was aware of it because i'm aware of everything the blood service does at this point um i'm not gonna say stalker but i'm gonna say vampire maybe <laughs> Definitely verging on stalker vampire at this point. Oh my um, god, that's that. Oh, don't tell them that they'll actually use that as yeah. like, <laughs> um, Oh, stop. I've, I've seen the uh, because no, no, I know it's a really bad joke to make, but what if they had brought you into the interrogation room and they're and they're like, Are you sure you were telling the truth? and then they're like, Are you a vampire? <laughs> I swear, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I give you the blood, guys. I'm the opposite. I'm a good vampire. Um, but like, so like, I was fully aware of the UK one. Um, but I did think it was really weird that like the best they did was like a press release, like mm. one press release, guys. Mm, you're gonna have to try a little bit more than that, like, um, like, cause like the okay, fine, they don't receive a huge amount of funding fair enough um mm-hmm. and I, i've said numerous times that their funding does need to be increased um mm-hmm. to like allow them to be more innovative um like the uk system their their blood service is hugely innovative and i think you know that would be great here but even at that like i mean a press release I, you know like there are it, like they make more noise about other things like they have like big projects about encouraging the general population to donate i'm like why can't you do it for even when you change the uk thing like why can't you do it for for that and really get the numbers in it's it's something as simple as giving or telling gps to put posters up themselves or telling like something like i don't know even like mature students like and like in their unions or something it is as or even like yeah just there are groups of people like even things as like like park run is, is huge in ireland telling them and like their membership because it's an international thing yeah it, there's so many like holes in their i guess outreach program even with the blood shortage like they've started to release like these little things on instagram yep. being like did you know you can get blood if you're this and it's that's, like great but this great. is like yeah it is it's great it's what? like come on guys like come on give go girl give us more you know it's that, that's it's, great oh, but yeah. why weren't you doing that all along like i like it doesn't cost to post stuff on instagram guys like no. you don't have to pay for advertising you can just post pictures um yeah. although having said that they should pay for like spot like sponsored ads on facebook let's be honest yeah so, so they, they it's probably like the bare minimum the bare minimum yeah, like they're not that expensive guys I, think, I could pay for one and just like to talk kind of like about like where like activism is going because so basically a lot of me like it's no it's no secret me and this are involved in blood for all it's a campaign to like you know decrease the 12 uh month i was about to say 12 year 12 month ban um on msm donating blood um and also other people making sure that there's fair and equal blood donating procedures across ireland because currently on the island of ireland there is a 12 month ban and a three month ban depending on your geographical location which is bizarre and it also it's just like the north are somewhat ahead of us in politics for once and that is always like i mean it's great to see it in this instance but it's very much you feel like we're being left behind. Ireland does have a very like typically high engagement with blood donations, like of approximately 3% of the population. And in order to sustain uh, blood supplies, you should like, there should be about 1%. So there is a high engagement. It's just that due to COVID, so many people couldn't donate blood that, like, cause people used to regularly go. It used to be like a regular thing. I know so many people who love to give blood because it's something that makes you feel helpful and it is something that just makes you think that you're contributing to society in a nice way. And people just couldn't go because obviously different clinics were closed and like obviously like health restrictions, everything. So Ireland naturally had to start importing blood in June due to a blood shortage. Issue with this is also the blood that is being imported is also frozen. So it's not necessarily as good quality. So you do kind of have to use a bit more. And also it is just a slap in the face to 
so many MSM who want to give blood, who have donated blood and have continuously campaigned to donate blood. And like, Tomas, what was like kind of your reaction almost when the IBTS put out this announcement that, hey, for the first time since the 90s, we're going to import blood in bulk because we need more? Um, I mean, you know, it, it's great that they have that resource there, that mm. they can, um, that they're that we're not left in a position where we can't give blood to people as a country. That you know, mm-hmm. that, that it is available for us to bring in. That's you know, that's good. Um, and that's a positive thing because it is, you know, it, it's about the person at the end um receiving mm. it. So it that's incredibly important. Um but I was just like in between laughing and just but like not haha laughing, but laughing like this is so incredibly ludicrous. Like, and then I was just extremely frustrated too, uh, because you have a situation where there are people in this country right now who can donate, um, and you know. F- I'm sure there will people. There will be people who will say, if you get rid of the ban tomorrow, you're not going to increase numbers significantly. But that's not necessarily the point. The point is that, um, and the blood service, not just here but in every other country, it's well recognised that if you get someone to give one donation, they're more likely to take it up as a routine habit. So you get like routine donors, which is much better than one-off donors. Uh, they're mm. far more reliable. So the point is to get just that one donation off a few people and you get them into the habit then of doing it. You be, you get more regular blood donors and that's incredibly important. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you're turning away these people and you know the shortage is probably due to the fact that mobile clinics were a lot more restricted than they ever were before. Um, but clinics, so... Uh, my local one is Dalier Street. It was open the entire time. You had to make your appointment, but the appointment times were, you know, it was open as much as it ever was. Um, and sometimes they were actually had to turn people away because there was too many trying to get into the Dalier Street clinic. Um, and where are the most gay men in this country? Dublin. Yeah. So they are like, the clinic was there open for them this entire time, but they weren't allowed to donate um and the reason was you know what exactly like i <laughs> what was the reason again um I'm like, so i like i i was just really frustrated because i'm watching this play out like for eight-ish years till this like since this started i'm watching this play out and it's like why do we always have to be reactive like why do we like why can't we see that there's an issue ahead and deal with it instead of waiting for the issue to come up and then panic and try to deal with it then like like it seems like all along with this blood uh blood donation policy it's always been like reactive it's like oh we have to go to court right we better maybe do something now um, yeah. and now it's, it's like this, cover the, almost. Yeah. it's like Mm. And now it's COVID and the shortage of blood, and it's like, oh, maybe, maybe now we should look at this. Like, why, why, why don't you look at it before, before these things happen? Yeah, kind of like rather than like avoiding the iceberg that's up ahead, <laughs> just turning. They go, okay, we'll go put into it and then deal with it. Like that's not. Yeah. 
it's not the best way to go about things. And I think it's crazy because like even um even the SUs among several colleges this year organized they're going to organize this like campaign of blood donations and obviously it would be like an inter like uh, college thing and it'd be like whoever donated the most blood would win. Um and then also in retrospect they're like oh but this like it's basically like whatever college with the least amount of MSM technically could win and it's also like discriminatory so they got the, uh, them uh can't speak they got students to register their interest to become uh, eligible donors and like that was like recorded instead of like pints of blood instead and it's just those things where it's like people want to be able to donate blood because it is a good thing not just like to like it, yeah it makes yourself feel good it's great you're participating in a really useful thing but you're also ultimately saving lives because who knows when one day you might need blood um and i think that's like one thing that everyone should kind of remember especially yeah. when it comes to a blood shortage your family members like your friends you you never know when you could go get into an accident where you need blood and unfortunately like as well rare blood types have actually always have to be like imported in from other countries to make sure that we have like enough stock but it is just making sure that blood levels and blood um, supplies in Ireland remain stable. Yeah. And they got to a point where I went on the uh, giveblood.ie website and I saw that O negative had gotten as low as one day. And it was one of those moments where I was like, oh my God, like what, like, like we just, not that it's just like, oh, like let everyone donate blood now, but it's just like, you know let's just try and encourage as many people as possible to donate blood and also encourage as many people as possible who care about you know making sure voluntary donors who have been proven to be the safest donors because they are the ones you know keeping themselves in check and they are also making sure that they are healthy and if they're a regular donor even better um like making sure that we have enough you know of these donors in the kind of the blood pool and in the, like just making sure that they are available and it's just when you read about like campaigns in other countries and you find out so many different things like how deferral is so negative that it can affect people who like sympathize with the cause that they won't donate blood and it just creates this negative negative stigma almost about donating blood that like oh it's you know they don't want these kind of people so why should we do it it's just no just do it but do but also remember that we should be like calling for everyone to be able to do it as well because exactly. there is no difference between our blood or anyone else's at the end of the day like the thing, the thing about this situation is is that we are incredibly i don't want to say privileged as a nation because we're not we're never going to be privileged for the fact that we have to import blood but it's the fact that we can do that exactly a lot of places don't have that option and at the end of the day like when it comes to donating blood, as great as it may feel, like having that blood there could mean the difference between life and death for someone. Like that is how serious and how important blood yeah. donation is. Now, sometimes that blood will be used in ways that, you know, mightn't like mightn't be as deep as life and death, but it might be the difference between living a functional, comfort comfortable life and barely being able to function. And it's stuff like that that's so important. Like having that availability to blood especially in countries that are now improving their like trauma care like we're seeing it in ireland like we're becoming more and more high tech but if you don't have the blood as such to feel that yeah there's only so much we can do and there's on only so many people we can help yeah. and it's so so important that we get as much blood 
as possible without sounding like a vampire. Exactly. But, well, it was the news that, like, in Crumlin's Children's Hospital, that they actually, they not that they were reducing treatments and stuff, but they were they were coming down to thinking about which children they needed to prioritize in or in terms of like blood supplies because they got to a point right before the blood shortage was kind of announced that they didn't know what to do and it's just like we should never get to that point where we are wondering what to do next it's exactly it should never be reactionary like there should have been a review probably at the start of covid when they realized the hospitals are going to be under strain hospitals have always been under strain in Ireland frankly and it's just like why are we waiting like way long like why did why did a lifelong ban go to 12 months like why why couldn't it just have gone all together and they did something more progressive I don't know it's just the answer to that is sadly very simple um it's the minimum they had to do Oh my god. And that's it. Um, so as part of that whole review process back in like 2015, um, or 2016, 2015, whatever. Um, so I obviously have loads of documents, so many documents. Oh uh, I just I need a storage shed for everything. Um, but essentially, um, so I've obviously seen what they discussed and their <laughs> review papers and all of that. Um and they looked at like three different options. So it was keep the ban as it is, reduce it to, I think, uh, 12 months or get rid of it entirely and use individual risk assessment. And the entire focus, like or well, most of the focus of the entire document is on 12 months. Like it's like, yeah, yeah we could do that. But no, we could do that. No, no, no. 12 months. Yeah, let's let's really focus on 12 months from the very start. And then at the end, they recommend 12 months like that's. Of course they're going to rec- like of course they're going to recommend 12 months when that's what they focused on from the start like they it was pre-decided what yeah. what that was yeah. going to like yeah. i was under no doubt throughout the entire process that it was going to be 12 months like not mm-hmm. whatsoever i knew exactly what they were going to do because it was the minimum they they had to do like mm-hmm. which is which is a terrible way of running a, any health service is doing the minimum that has to be done rather than doing fairness, what should like, be done i'm not surprised like in, in when you look at cases like even the cervical cancer kind of, like they did the bare minimum of testing that they could have gotten away with a lot of reserve banks are about that like the the irish health system has continuously done like let's do the bare minimum for everyone so we can all scrape by and we can all survive so like, no, we shouldn't just be surviving we should actually be living Mm-hmm. um but even with because the ibts has come out recently and said that oh they are reviewing everything and that they will have like new news in the fall uh, whatever they will they're saying that they're reviewing everything and that there should be you know things changed do you think that they're gonna reduce it to three months or if they're gonna try and phase in a risk assessment kind of system or do you think that they are just going to try and stick with like the example i guess set by the north because it's hard to tell personally. So um, it's looking like by September, um, mm-hmm. sometime, I'm not sure of the date, by September, um, the North is going to align itself with Britain. So individual mm-hmm. risk assessment. So um, I mean, the IBTS will have to do something mm-hmm. uh, before that, because then it will be individualized risk assessment or an automatic 12-month ban on the same island, um, which you know you really it can't work um 
So either they will have to move to three months, I suppose, or go with individual risk assessment. Now, obviously, I am going to want individual risk assessment. Um, but am I confident that that's what's going to happen? Uh, examples have shown that um, my confidence could be misplaced. <laughs> Seeing a campaign like this gives me a huge amount of confidence because it means that there are people experienced and educated and like highly experienced by the looks of the content you post, like massively experienced and knowledgeable about this issue. Um, and with the graphic design um, element as well, which is excellent. Um, oh, so, no. it, <laughs> so it really yeah, like, <laughs> it does give me a huge amount of confidence. Um, that is, I feel like that is a thing that activists face in general, um, is that there comes a point where you just feel really burnt out and you go, well, what's the point? I've been at this for years and years and years and changed. And I think even with the 12 month like ban, like, you know, you were kind of saying that like no one overtly like argued against it. They were very much like, okay, we'll bring this here, we'll bring this there. And I think the 12 month ban was almost like to save face. It was kind of like, oh no, like this isn't, like we're we we love the gays in this country like we voted for gay marriage yeah. like it 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 comes across to me like that because it's still a lifetime ban in like different clothes like it's mm. like, you know like i just and i think the same if we do end up falling down to a three-month ban which again would be improvement not exactly what we want but it would be mm -hmm. where we are it's still a lot like well we don't want to look worse than the north of ireland because i know ireland likes to pride itself on the fact that oh my god we're so much more progressive than the north and i'm like we're really not that far apart like no. literally and geographically like you know we're really that, not that far apart that was like one of the weirdest things of the lifetime ban at the time for like a short enough period of time you had like a gay out gay health minister who mm. was i mean he wasn't actively defending the ban but he wasn't doing anything to change the lifetime ban or he wasn't doing anything really massive about it and then at simultaneously at the same time you had the same ban in the north and the reason that was staying in place was because edwin poots said he thought it was better but let's be honest we all know why he was supporting it he thought the gays were icky yeah no. <laughs> like it's, it's a really but yeah i mean icky um so essentially you had like a out gay health minister here supporting essentially like in essence supporting the same policy as edwin boots who believes like the earth is six thousand years old like we're not asking for more but it feels like we we kind of have we have to keep being like no we're not we're not done yet mm -hmm. there's still conversion therapy practices we still are not equal in our blood donation policies. We're still not equal in adoption policies. It's still like, we still it's, it's far from the end. Sex ed in schools, like absolutely <laughs> awful. We are still, no, I, I don't even want to go into my sex ed, but like, I swear to God, I was told at one point, don't sit on the, like, on the boy's lap because you don't know what's going to happen. And I was like, you never know. What? <laughs> well, like, that's the thing. When we were in secondary school, we brought it to the teacher that was teaching the SPHE at the time. We were like, because she was like, is there anything else you'd like me to touch on in this class? And we were like, we'd love LGBTQ plus, like, sex education. And now this was, like, I will say, like, a genuinely lovely woman. 
her response was like the school will never allow that to happen i'm sorry um and like obviously a catholic school deeply catholic ethos and i remember when the like um gay marriage vote was happening people were having like badges taken off them if they'd like vote yes badges now i don't know apparently all political memorabilia was being taken off people but like you know it's uh, i just like this country has so much work to do like mm. about our understanding around sex our understanding around sex education to have these conversations to be comfortable having these conversations and i think that's the thing from the outside we look very progressive for the fact that oh my god you're a gay t-shirt like this that and the other but we have to remember that he presents himself in a way that is very very tolerable to like a very like what's the word i'm looking for like the kind of sitting middle class where it's like yeah. he very much appeals to his voter base it's like yeah i'm a little bit you know progressive but not too much that it turns you off or i lose your vote and that's where we find that he doesn't speak out about these things and i just oh he's a funny fish is kind of my like overall final statement i just don't understand him and i don't understand why you want to be like that and i do agree like you don't have to center your life around or identity around one specific community and that always be your battle but at the same time to completely like ignore something that you're part of and actively have been discriminated for i uh, i just i don't i don't get it personally i just don't get it Mm. it's it's he is a funny fish i like this like whole stuff it is like at the end of the day it is just I guess, yeah, it's just hoping, I think, that people make enough noise about this whole situation because, yeah. like, be it, like, sharing a petition or going to court, at the end of the day, it's making noise. Yeah, and and to be honest, like, it ultimately, what I want to see is, and, like, I've, like, memorised this at this point because I've said it so often, but essentially a fair, safe and robust service. Like, it's not yes obviously i'm going to care massively about the fact that as an out gay man i have to do something that is quite difficult to do and that's choose between it a normal integral part of the human experience and doing what i view as my civic duty you know helping people um as best i can through donating blood like and and you know making that choice might be fine if it made sense but it doesn't. That's the point. It it there, there's no sense behind it. So, you know, yes, I'm I'm actually in pain, like having to experience that. But at the same time, I am still like I, I still view myself as a dedicated blood donor. And as you mentioned, any one of us could one day need a blood transfusion or any type of blood product, and or our family members or friends or anyone, um, and. I want a service that can properly address that, um, not only through obviously uh, avoiding shortages of blood, um, but also ensuring that actually the blood being provided is completely safe. And I don't want to, like, I don't want to suggest that it's not. But at the same time, our current system does not make an assessment of what could be high risk blood donations. It doesn't, it, it ignores <laughs> that entire aspect. And so far we've been lucky that yeah. nothing bad has happened. It, it hyper let's not be lucky. Yeah. Let's, let's maybe, you know, be a little proactive about um, that. I'm not saying, you know, start 
excluding everybody who's had sex in the past day regardless like that's we that's not realistic we have to get there has to be and this is the way it's always been there has to be a balance between the risks versus the benefits of of letting people donate and that balance is completely off and has been for a long time so we need to get that balance right um and center essentially like very much centered the patients because they are the ones that need this and they need it to be as safe as possible and right now we have shortages and well we had shortages and you know all it takes is one one non-msm non-sex work donor who caught something last night on a night out and you know i don't want to pick on the lowest fruit here but essentially that's all it takes um and i don't want to be i don't want us to be in that position where where that where something bad happens and we have to be like oops maybe we should look at this now like let's let's get ahead of it now let's fix it now um preventative measures rather than reactionary like we were saying earlier like that's the thing is that we have the ability to screen that blood and test that Mm -hmm. blood it exists and it exists for hiv because we are not like underplaying the danger of hiv and obviously that's the thing that you were presented with the entire time is like oh well there's these statistic hence why msn can't donate but the thing is is that like that risk is like like as you said now like 30 percent of transmission is through heterosexual sex so like everyone should be going through these tests and rigorously test because those exist and they there's an ability to do so and i don't I don't really understand the excuses or the kind of language around, oh, well, we can't because it's not safe. And I'm like, well, there's ways to make it safe. So yeah. I just don't understand what the problem is. Have a whole system worked out where it's, you know, where it's an opportunity to get STI screened, where it's an opportunity to donate blood, where it's an opportunity to feel healthier and to feel more secure, as well as do your civic duty where you can donate blood and make sure that there's a continuous blood supply. It's not that hard to work out but it is crazy that the three of us need to sit down and like be like this this is something that should be a thing why isn't it a thing and there isn't really an answer for i feel like people why might not argue, argue oh well money it's going to cost a lot of money yeah we need to do that but the thing is is that in the long term it's going to save you money because you're catching things like sti or hiv before it turns into something like aids because there is there is a difference between those and the thing is is that if you are able to catch these things early rather than when it's way on way later and people need a lot more treatment regardless of what the sti what the std whatever it is catching those early is going to save the system all the money the excuse of oh well it's too expensive to put these systems in place it's it's like they will literally pay for themselves in the long yeah, Catching these things early as well prevents transmission to other people, which mm-hmm. you know, and they won't necessarily catch them e- early either. And like the earlier the treatment, the more the more effective it is. It's just there's there's so many things and there's so many arguments for why it should be risk based and and like even within that, like having these things like regular STI screening and having like, you know, different, just different and normal criteria, which should reflect a modern health service. But unfortunately, our health service had the 2007 version of Microsoft downloaded. 
So maybe we're just a few years off or something. I don't know. But um, I think we're coming to the end of the episode. Aren't we, Lewis? I think we are indeed. Um, but yeah, that's a very good point. Why don't we update our systems? It's really not that hard. In fairness, I haven't either. So like, I love, I love the idea of something like HSE HQ, like getting that pop over, like your system needs to be updated and every single day they're just going, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> oh, but anyway. This is a side note. I think that's what they did with the, the seven month update to the, the band situation. And there was like every single day they're like, oh, I'll fix it tomorrow. And then they're like, crap, they're just sticking all these sheets of paper <laughs> into the binders overnight. <laughs> Just hoping no one would notice. Hey, vaccination uh, central. Um, but uh, anyway, on that wonderful note, you've all been listening to Are You Two in Love or with Eva O'Byrne and Lucy Holmes, or Lucy Holmes and Eva O'Byrne, depending which way you like us. Um, we have been joined by the wonderful Tomas Hennigan. Um, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciated it because it's a topic we obviously all feel passionate about. Um, and there's nothing better when you're just sitting there passionately discussing something so we appreciate your time we appreciate your knowledge we appreciate everything you do and everything you've done for this cause thanks a million for not only having me um but for all of this um like i said uh, your campaign is going to make a difference um i have like literally no doubt whatsoever about that it will absolutely make a difference um on several fronts not just changing the policy but making people more aware of the policy and making people more aware of the fact that they should donate blood um you know you're doubly helping triply helping mm, i'm not sure that's the word but there you go triply helping so thanks a million and thanks for having me it's been great we really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone who's listening into this we cannot encourage you more to go and check out the msn blood for all campaign um over on instagram we've loads of information we've further graphics we also have a wonderful petition that we can sign we will put the link in the bio of this podcast too we really do encourage you to sign it um and also we will add some information about how you can go and donate blood of course yeah check out blood.ie and all their socials and stuff to make sure to check if you are eligible for donating blood today because of course Ireland's experiencing a blood shortage it's always good to just check if you're eligible to donate yeah, so thank you all for listening in. We appreciate it to no ends. This has been our YouTube and love or bye. <laughs>